This episode is sponsored by a donor to Global Wellness Institute, or GWI. GWI is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to empower wellness worldwide by educating the public and private sectors about preventative health and wellness. GWI's research, programs, and initiatives have been instrumental in the growth of the $4.5 trillion U.S. dollar wellness economy and in uniting the health and wellness industries. Visit globalwellnessinstitute.org. On this episode, we have Aki Karja. Aki was born and raised in Finland, just north of Helsinki. He became very fond of skateboarding at a young age. This passion enabled him to travel the world. He studied finance at NYU and secured a job in investment banking at Morgan Stanley. From there, he moved to the prestigious private equity fund Blackstone Group. After a few other stints in finance, he opted to follow another life passion that he developed around art, largely influenced by a number of artist friends in his life, and launched the company Art Fair, a site that matches artists with collectors. Okay, thank you so much for being on our show. Oh, of course. Of course, thanks for uh, having me. Appreciate yeah. it. It's it's really great, and uh, I love um, your story and your background because it's uh, so similar to mine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> finance to art entrepreneur, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is really exciting and looking forward to getting into that. But for starters, um, in which part of Finland were you born? Were you born in Helsinki? I was born in a small town 45 minutes north of Helsinki. So the town is called Järvenpää. Okay. And it's kind of a suburb of Helsinki in one way. Not really a suburb in the American way, but you know, people live there and a lot of people go work in Helsinki. Thirty thousand people, typical small town. Nice, nice. Did you have siblings? Or do you have uh, siblings? Yeah. Yeah. So I have an older sister and a younger sister. Okay. All right. So uh so growing up uh, w- uh, with them in this quiet setting. Yeah, in, in the quiet setting. And then um, obviously when I turned 12 or 13, then, you know, I started taking the train to Helsinki and I grew up skateboarding. So that was my thing, you know, kind of oh, nice. always wanted to get out of the small town and, and uh, all my skater friends were living in Helsinki. So I'd go there. Okay. As much as I could, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. Now, it's it's tempting to think that um, your turn to become an art entrepreneur was uh, a lifelong passion that was stoked when you were much younger. Is uh, is that how it played out for you, Aki? Or did you have no, a pretty short? Okay. <laughs> not, not at all, actually. Uh, so, I don't know what my passion was when I was a kid. It was really skateboarding and snowboarding. I mean, it still is. I grew up doing that, and that was kind of my ticket out from the small town that I was in and, you know, enabled me to travel the world at a young age. And and um, I came to the U.S. to skateboard when I was 15, 16 for the first oh. time and then ended up coming back because that was kind of where all the activity was. And, and that really shaped me as a person and i think even to this day i still identify with that a lot wow. just the community and the culture and and then um 
for whatever reason, I got into finance. I found it very interesting. <laughs> it's an unusual move for a skateboarder. Yes. But, you know, it, well, it is what it is. And, yeah. yeah. Were you competing uh, when you were skateboarding? Were these competitions you were going to worldwide? Yeah. Yeah. Mostly in Finland and, you know, some in Europe and, and um, you know, it, it was competitions and filming video parts and stuff like that. All right, fantastic. So they're sort of, you know, it's still very similar. It's the same thing these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, were, are either of your parents in finance? No, no. <laughs> okay. My dad's a small town lawyer. He's retired now. And uh, my mom passed um, 15 years ago, but uh, she uh, was a civil servant. Okay. All right. So uh, you stumbled upon finance and uh, and you studied that both in Finland and you came to the U.S. to NYU. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the the long story. Um, um, I started studying it in Finland in late 90s and I wanted to be in New York and um, my girlfriend who I met in my uh, skateboarding travels was living in New York and I uh, somehow was able to manage to get a year abroad at NYU. Nice. 1999. Fantastic. Well done. <laughs> so you're just there for the year and then you had to go back to finish your studies in Finland. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, but you made it into the investment banking program at uh, Morgan Stanley, which is no small feat. Uh, <laughs> having done the same, I, you know, getting one at uh, Solomon Brothers. Uh, about five years prior to to you, um, I know that those are very challenging, rigorous interview processes, and I think Morgan Stanley is more selective than than Solomon was. So, <laughs> well done on that. <laughs> Thank you. You've done your research. Um, yeah. So, uh, um, I got an internship there in uh, in London. It was summer of two thousand. Okay. And that was kind of the peak of the dot-com bubble. And then um, was able to uh, get an offer and wanted to be in New York. So somehow was able to transfer that offer to New York and then moved here permanently, literally like three weeks before 9-11. I was just going to say, I didn't notice that you were there just before that. Um, that dramatically changed things. Talk to us about that <laughs> Oh, 9-11? Yes, in terms of, you know, you're just relocating to the city. So personally, and I mean, your girlfriend, I mean, is she originally from New York? She must have had family uh, there. And then yeah, so I actually met her in San Francisco when I was skateboarding in 95. Oh, okay. So, so that's, um, and then she, um, uh, she's in fashion design. She went to school in Parsons. So right. that kind of drove me to New York. And um, then got a job after and then um, you know moved here uh, summer of uh, one but right before that I had some troubles with my visa so I ended up spending mm. some time in uh, Spain oh. So, uh, <laughs> oh, okay which was uh, you know pretty good that I got to do that before uh, kind of the, the the drilling started in those investment banking programs sure yeah absolutely um all right um while you were at morgan stanley did you have any sector focus 
I was in um, general industrials group in corporate finance. So I was a very generalist, but I did a lot of uh, automotive stuff and some business services. So mm. yeah, I was um, uh, worked on GM a whole bunch. Ah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you moved to uh, to Blackstone uh, and to private equity at that point. Yeah, yeah. It was um, you know one of those um, competitive things. It's um, I guess banking was competitive, and in a way, I've always been a little bit competitive. And in private equity, was um, it was a career path out of banking, and you know at the time. I was just, um, you know, I'm sure you know how those banking programs are, but oh yes, <laughs> all fun and and wanted to be on the investing side and and somehow managed to get a get an offer from uh, Blackstone Private Equity in New York. So well, it, a couple of years. It's extremely impressive because uh, those jobs are very very hard to get. Um, I, I followed a managing director after two years at Solomon who went to Wasserstein Perella and I was there for a year and, um, we actually were looking at some transactions with Blackstone group. Uh, David Stockman was a, a friend of, uh, my boss, former boss. And so yeah. we were lo actually looked at some automotive things. Um, oh, and also Wasserstein's merchant banking side and Blackstone co-owned Collins and Aikman. Yeah. And so I, I visited that facility and we were looking at some things to do there. Um, and, um, but you know, and, and when I, I moved into private equity, but I went to a first time fund um, and mm. I, I felt super accomplished because just being able to get to private equity was <laughs> hard enough, but to make it to Blackstone was really, you were the uh, creme de la creme, as they say. Well, I don't know about that. Maybe, yeah. Uh... <laughs> Maybe somebody didn't take the offer and I was the, the first one on the list. <laughs> You're being very humble. <laughs> uh, but again, no, kudos on that. I mean, I can appreciate just how challenging it is to to, to land that job. Um, from there, you moved to Royal. Uh, and is, is that a hedge fund or is that uh, LBS? Yeah, so after, after private equity, um, you know, again, it's one of those typical career paths. At least at the time it was you know, you go to private equity for a couple of years and then after that, um, hedge funds and, and Royal was, um, you know, started by a Blackstone alum and, um, uh, that worked at a kind of this, uh, pioneering value investing hedge fund called Siegler Colliery. Okay. That was in the nineties. So, you know, they were, um, a value-driven driven hedge fund that was, um, you know, long short equity. Gotcha. There, you know, for several years, really a good time. Yeah, you're there about uh, five years, and then um, a few other experiences, a little shorter in tenure. I saw uh, Agnostic Capital, Millennium, Newbrook. Were you also just kind of um, working with partners you had worked with in the past, or were these? Yeah, so I sort of jumped around uh, from a few funds and then, you know, for a while I was um, um, managing my own money and, you know, tried to set something up with a friend of mine. Was that Newbrook? Uh, was that? 
Was that Newbrook? That was your own? No, that was Agnostic. Agnostic was your own. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great yeah. name, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Don't have to ask about sector specificity. <laughs> <laughs> Non-denominational. Um, and then, um, yeah, from there, you know, I went to, I was at Millennium for a while, and then the Newbrook was my um, last stint, and, and um, that was for about three years or so. And, Right, and that ended about 2017. So, uh, I imagine that um, the concept of art fair had started to uh, kind of percolate in your mind prior to your leaving Newbrook. Is that? Yeah, okay? it's hard to say when it exactly entered my mind, but I've had it for for a long time, and it was one of those things that I sort of talked to a lot of friends about and asked their opinions and it evolved from one form to another and and um, it was something that for a very long time I wanted to do and try out and then um, it sort of worked out that it was a good time for me to leave in the end of 2017 and um, through a mutual friend I met Jonas McConan who was my co-founder and he has a technology background and I have a finance background and right. I pitched him the idea and he was running a tech consultancy in New York at the time and he was kind of on his way out. So we were both in very similar situation and kind of had the, the, the time and motivation to, you know, team up and do a whole bunch of work on it. That's great. What was the, seed of the initial thought like when did the first inspiration come to you um it's probably you know my wife is really into arts and i have a bunch of artist friends and just kind of recognizing how art is very gallery centric and for a reason but then there are a lot of structural reasons why galleries are really just having a hard time you know whether it's because it's not necessarily the most inviting experience for people outside the art world or just for reasons that brick and mortar retail is struggling, like declining um, traffic and, and um, obviously, um, you know, retail is not, not doing quite well. And, and then a lot of the sales are happening at art fairs and, not at the gallery and it's expensive for the galleries to go to these fairs and it seems like the galleries are really struggling and a lot of artists sort of perceive the gallery system to be the only credible way to get your art there and i think that's definitely changing and you sort of we went through you know all the different attempts to you know, do online in arts and it felt like a lot of them just were incredible and didn't really look at it from the artist's perspective. And, right. you know, that was kind of difficult to um, communicate to people in the art world at first that we were really trying to understand that the artist's perspective, right. looking at online and, you know, lots of people thought that, you know, we're sort of just looking at it outside in and not really trying to empathize with artists and their problems and 
and it is, you know, it, it is true that the gallery system is still mostly perceived as the most credible way, but it's really troubled. Yeah. And then yeah. the artists are really the losers in that right. equation. And yeah. it really sucks for artists because it's hard enough being an artist and then you have this, uh, this channel that's just, uh, you know, has all these structural issues. Right. What do you foresee, Aki, as a future for galleries? Um, I think it's, you know, what we're trying to do is we try to help artists understanding that whenever they can get gallery shows is obviously what they want. And if you can see art in person, that's the best way seeing it. I'm not a huge believer that everything is going to go virtual and that's the reason why you see art because I think there are so many other reasons why you go see art. It's the social aspects of it and you know the belonging to a community or a tribe or whatever you want to call it and then there's some you know um, reasons why you buy art. It's something kind of uh, makes you feel good, good but it, accolade or you know some some uh, point of proof of you belonging to some you know group or or a belief system if you will yeah yeah no, that makes um, sense so I, I do think galleries will continue to be around but it's just a very difficult existence for them for a lot of reasons and um, they'll have to adapt. So they'll have to try to adapt and figure out these kind of hybrid models where some of it is online and some will be in the gallery and, and then try to engage people that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you first mentioned this to uh, Jonas, your uh, CTO partner, um, mm -hmm. to where it is today, Tell us about the pivots, the changes, the uh, the nimbleness you've had to uh, apply. <laughs> oh man! Well, looking back, it's actually not that different from what we envisioned. Oh, well done! In the first place, good. <laughs> um, and there were, you know, there's sort of different ways that we thought it would go and maybe where we ended up was kind of one of the ways. Mm. Um, it's definitely been more difficult than I thought it would be. And I think that's partly because in the art world, it's really everything is about credibility and building credibility. And that just takes time. Um, and, you know, there's the concept of the art world and are you inside the circle or are you outside? And <laughs> right. we decided that we really very much want to be inside the circle. So, right. you know, that's a different set of considerations when you want to be inside. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> no, it's a much longer um, runway, as they say. And um, yes. recently I was uh, nominated um, to for the CFO position at MoCA Los Angeles Museum of Contemporary okay. Art here. Yeah. And um, I had a good conversation with them and politely declined. But uh, I told them, like, the best part of this is that I feel like I'm on the inside now. 
<laughs> for you to consider me for this role, that just is a great feeling, and I, I thank you profusely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if personally I am inside the art world, but I do feel like art fair is. Uh-huh. Well, that's an interesting uh, distinction there. And, um, but so, so, so tell me why uh, you feel that way. And I mean, do you have somebody who is like uh, on the team who's steeped from the art world or? No, I think everybody is in their way. And, you know, I'm, it's kind of tongue in cheek that I'm saying this. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And obviously the, the concept of art world, as I understand it, is evolving all the time. And you know, there isn't really anybody with authority who can declare what it is and what's not. Yeah. But then maybe Jerry Saltz, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I, uh, yeah. I mean, there's some fascinating trends that are happening. And, um, you know, there, there's an adage for collectors that you should collect your age group. Um, so that the the value, you know, you can acquire a comfortable number of pieces in the early part of your career because they're not priced so expensively. And then as you get older, um, the value appreciates and, and so forth. Um, I feel like paradigms and ways of thinking are also in that way. And um, uh, and I don't know if you identify as a millennial or not. You're probably just age-wise right on the cusp. Um, no, I, I'm probably a little older than okay i'm a 77 baby so i'm squarely gen x um, so i'm yeah i'm, I'm 76 so okay so yeah we're both gen x but yeah. it's really our generation and the millennials who are come who are doing the startups around um uh, uh within the art world and so we're the ones pushing for the changes because we see that uh, uh these modes are outdated um, so I think it's, uh, by, na by nature, it's going to evolve and shift uh, in this direction. Um, yeah. Some of the things we're seeing. I mean, galleries do a lot of great work, um, but a lot of times it just doesn't make any sense for well, several galleries to really pay as much rent as they're paying, you know. Exactly. In the, no, it's true. Uh, you know, high price retail locations and then with traffic down just because people, well, especially because of COVID and who knows when it's going to come back. It's, um, it just seems like there needs to be more innovation to engage people outside of that. Obviously physical events and people coming together is hugely important. It's critical, but it's just that the, the system has, fail to in, innovate and kind of go forward and and obviously um the proliferation of art fairs you know is great for people lots of people enjoy going to them and they're fun events and they're making them better now i feel like um but it's still you know an area a very important area that's just um, not getting the innovation that pretty much every other aspect of our you know daily lives it's, yeah. it's, you know getting yeah no absolutely um, how has the uh, COVID situation impacted art fair your business um, it's been I would say it's probably a net positive okay 
Um, it, well, it's definitely a net positive. I think it's uh, legitimized the digital aspects of art quite a bit. And because we're so artist centric, I feel like the artists are, they felt empowered by yeah. it. Right. That, you know, they, they can join this curated community that's going to help them promote their work and their practice. And then they can also use it as a tool to sort of amplify that promotion themselves and they can feel good about it. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we try to do as much programming as we can to kind of keep um, patrons or collectors interested as well. And, and I feel like what's happened is that lots of people are stuck at their homes and they're looking at these empty walls or, you know, some prints that they're in, that they bought from Ikea and they're probably embarrassed about. <laughs> you don't want to have that in the zoom backdrop. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to ask about that. And it's not a very compelling story behind it. So, you know, the, the, the idea for art fair is that, you know, you can establish this personal relationship with the artist through this transaction. And then you have, a story and a meaning behind the piece that you own and maybe even a start of a relationship. Yeah. And I feel like that's, you know, when people are at their homes, like figuring out how to make the home feel better and because they're spending so much time, it's, you know, we've definitely seen it in sales for sure, but it's, you know, the, the lower priced stuff, you know, kind of the stuff that sells online. So it's, it's, in that sense, it's, it's been good. Um, on the other hand, you know, artists are struggling. It's, um, it's a very difficult time for them and, and galleries are probably doing even worse. So to the extent that, you know, artists had a, a gallery show scheduled and they've been working on it for six months to a year, sometimes two years, it really sucks to have those things be canceled on you. And, and then, of course, the galleries are trying to do online things, but you know it's not really what they're equipped to do. And and um, yeah, so. But overall, I would say that it's you know it's been a net positive for us. Good, good. You know, um, in terms of that conversation about galleries and their and their future, I feel like pre-internet or pre you know uh, art being easily accessible online um, galleries perform that access function in addition to a curatorial function and one could argue that the curatorial function is still of significance um, people don't necessarily trust their own tastes they like to be told that this should be purchased or this one for these reasons and they like to appreciate those reasons or understand or grasp them about how one artist or one might be more significant than another. Uh, I just wonder if that curatorial function can be achieved through art influencers, art advisors, um, because access now is not um, so critical. Yeah. And that's, I, I totally agree with what you said. And that's why we're very heavy on the curatorial aspect. And we have three curators at Art Fair um, who are 
you know, evaluating submissions and inviting artists to join. And they're also in charge of doing the programming and trying to, you know, engage the artists, engage the patrons, um, whether it's our email campaigns or, you know, virtual studio visits. So I, I definitely do agree with that. You need curators and you need professionals to validate. I don't know so much if it's about taste, you know, part of it is taste, but part of it is just, I feel like people have their own tastes, but you know, if you're, if you like somebody's art and you're paying a lot of money for it, you probably want to buy from an artist who you know is a lifer who's sort of yeah. in it yeah. as a career or at least attempting to make it a career. Yeah. Not yeah. somebody who's, you know, dabbling in it here and there exactly. and then kind of stops at it. So in that sense, you want to, you know, you're supporting an artist and what they do. Um, I feel like it's, you know, it's not just the taste of it, but it's kind of the, the validation that, okay, this person, you know, no matter what the background, but they're kind of, uh, you know, proven this themselves to be a lifer and yeah. therefore yeah. need to be supported. And yeah. It's a little different than taste, but... No, but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's like anything in the world, there's trends in the art world, and you can definitely see some of those trends in New York. Um, you can see certain artists that are sort of... And a lot of times, these artists have been doing the same thing for a very long time, and then, you know, the trends just kind of happen to go their way. And um, you could you could see that how they're you know becoming increasingly popular. Yeah. In yeah. That yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, where do you see the future for art fair? Where would what's your vision? And um, particularly, Aki, like what milestone would you like to hit where you personally will feel it's a success? So. For me, it's important just to, um, you know, keep it growing and keep it alive and, um, and do it the right way. So it's definitely taken longer than I thought. It's more difficult to raise capital for uh, the, the, the venture capital world is not very receptive to art. And I think the venture capital world is not receptive to kind of startups in general. It's, it's just, it's very difficult, more difficult than I thought. And um, I just, you know, now we have 600 artists and we're growing nicely. Um, we want to keep this measured growth going where the artists feel like, you know, they're buying, paying $20 a month for us, which, you know, is not a lot. It's something that we have to charge in order to be able to pay portion of the costs because sure. it's not free. Yep. And most of us are really doing this without getting paid. So <laughs> it's uh, not really a you know viable business in that sense yet, but it's on its way to becoming a viable business and, you know, we're focused on doing it the right way without diluting the original mission. So now it's in a place where 
it's growing nicely. Everything is on the right track. And, you know, we want to keep people engaged and we want to grow it while keeping the quality up. And then I feel like as we grow it, our chances of raising more capital and then kind of making it bigger in a sense that, you know, maybe we can have more of a presence at, at uh, art fairs and, you know, a bigger presence at organizing events um, and advertising, et cetera, and kind of, you know, reaching the ultimate goal, which is really becoming this, this marketplace for fine art where you could, you know, schedule studio visits and kind of bridging the, the physical and the digital, you know, helping people connect, whether it's online or, or uh, you know, physically going to galleries and whatnot. That's the goal. And, you know, we're well in our way there, but things in the art world just take a long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, uh, I'm curious, uh, your 10-year-old son, is he into art or is he into skateboarding? Um, he's more into art than he is into skateboarding. Okay. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, he, he, he loves art. Um, is he, he an stuff. artist himself? What's that? Is he an artist himself? Does he create? Yeah, he, he creates a lot. Wow, that's exciting. Um, yeah, it's in the art arts club at school okay and my wife his mom is obviously she's very artistic so he gets a lot of encouragement that's great um he does skateboard too but he's uh he doesn't like to do it with me for whatever reason oh interesting <laughs> he likes he likes the social aspect of it okay i was gonna because that that would be a whole other episode <laughs> yeah the father-son dynamics around hobbies, especially yeah. when you have an accomplished father. <laughs> uh, okay, this has been a, such a great conversation. Again, I really appreciate this. It's been a really great conversation. Thank you so much for being on yeah, the show. Yeah, of course. Really uh, an honor to uh, be invited. Appreciate it. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.